greatly to be praised from the rising of the sun and to the setting of the same. Our God is great. It is good to have each and every one of you with us on this Lord's Day. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad the Lord loves me. He didn't have to, but he does. The old preacher would say his love is so wide you can't get around it, so high you can't get over it, so low you can't get under it. The greatest truth that one theologian said that he had ever learned was this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Friends, you are loved by the one who is love. Our God is great. This morning, let us turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew chapter number 19. We'll begin with verse number 1. And we'll read through verse number 15. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse number 1, going to verse number 15. Let us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. This morning, let us read responsively. I'll begin with verse number one. You'll read verse number two. And then we will go back and forth through verse number 15. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse number one, according to the English Standard Version. You can also find it on the screen. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this thing, but only those to whom it is given. There are units. 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One woman was married because she was looking for the ideal. And then she said it became an ordeal. And now she's looking for a new deal. Another man said that his, mar the, the, his marriage was good for 20 years until they got married. Marriage. <laughs> I may have messed up that joke, but it's okay. You'll get with me. morning we're talking about marriage and divorce and singleness. Let's get to it. The Pharisees who are in opposition to Jesus as the Messiah come to test the Lord Jesus. And in this test, they bring to him a debate between two rabbis, by which many of the Jews subscribe one of the teachings of two of these rabbis. One was what we call Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai taught that divorce was permissible only in the case of gross indecency, primarily sexual unfaithfulness. Rabbi Hillel he taught his followers that they could divorce for any cause. He believed and taught in what is a no-fault divorce. And so now they bring this debate to Jesus himself. Where will Jesus land in this debate? Will Jesus teach what Moses taught, or will he have some new teaching? And so they bring him this test, and they ask him clearly. Verse number three, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And so Jesus now begins with the plan for marriage. He begins with the plan for marriage in verse 3 through 6. Jesus answers the question of the Pharisees by taking them back to the very beginning of mankind. So we look at the beginning of marriage. Jesus asked them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He brings them and reminds them of the origin of marriage. And his point in reminding them about the origin of marriage is to teach them that the definition and the design of marriage is not determined by man. He, he wants to impress upon them that marriage is a divine institution. He, he, he wants them and us to know that marriage 
was given to humankind by the very creator of humans. And since God is the one who created man, he is the one who defines marriage and its duration. Friends, I think it's important for us to get this because in this postmodern culture, this is a timely reminder that marriage is a divine institution, not a human invention. For Christians, citizens of the kingdom of God, marriage is not defined by Congress, the president, or even the Supreme Court. Marriage is not determined by a man, not Moses, not a prophet, not a priest, not a pastor, not a pope, not a rabbi, or even how one thinks they were born. Marriage is not defined by man's opinions, desires, or philosophy. God is the very designer of marriage. And Jesus affirms that marriage, as designed by God, is between one man and one woman. This it how this is how Jesus says it was established from the very beginning. The beginning is God's ideal. The beginning is God's intent. The beginning is God's design for marriage. This is before sin ever showed up on the earth. Marriage was literally made in heaven. Therefore, earth does not get to change heaven's design for marriage. Earth is to live by the original designer's intent for marriage. So Jesus says, let's go back to the very beginning to get our understanding of marriage. He moves then from the beginning of marriage to now the bond of marriage. Verse 5, Jesus says that from the beginning it was said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Two observations from this sentence. First, man is called to leave father and mother. You must remember, friends, that there was no closer relationship for a man than to his parents. A man's primary loyalty was to his parents. He was to help the family prosper. It was the man's responsibility not to bring shame to the family, but to bring honor to the family. However, what we learn here is that marriage changes the very dynamics of the relationship between a man and his parents. The priority is now the marriage, the spouse. His primary loyalty is not to his parents, but to his wife. He is to transfer his fundamental allegiance from parents to spouse. So when in the difficult position to choose between pleasing parents and pleasing the wife, the man is to choose the wife. She. She. 
is the priority. So Jesus has said a man is to leave his father, quoting uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and then the man is to hold fast to his wife. Those, the words hold fast are one word in Hebrew. That term literally means to glue, like super glue, or to cement. This term describes the duration of marriage. From the very beginning, marriage was designed to be permanent. It was to last as long as the man and the woman live. Since Jesus is quoted Genesis 2, 24, which is before Genesis 3, we know that this verse was pronounced before the fall. And since it was before the fall, then there was no death. So marriage was originally designed to last forever. This is the bond of marriage. The marriage bond is permanent. So then, before Genesis 3, the fall, there is no divorce. Beloved, this was God's intent for marriage. So we see the beginning of marriage, we see the bond of marriage, but then Jesus shares with us the blending of the married. Verse 6, Jesus tells the Pharisees in verse 6, that two married people are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus says it is God that has joined the two together. God is the one who brought the two together. God makes them one. That it's important that when we, when we are married, when people get married, I have to put this back into my counseling to, to remind people that when we get up here, it's not just saying some words. It's not just about the decor and the event. What, when, when we make covenant to one another in holy matrimony, God is doing something in that moment. He is joining these two individuals into a one flesh relationship. They are now becoming one body. If we press in on this metaphor, what Jesus is showing is that to break this marriage blending, this bond, is like severing a single body. And since God has joined them together, that no person has the right to separate the two. What God has united, man is not to divide. That's the plan for marriage. Go back to the beginning, Jesus says. Pharisees, they, they decide to press in on Jesus. They, they say, why then did Moses... Command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. The Pharisees here are referring to Deuteronomy 24 where Moses sets the rules for remarriage. Essentially, what happens in Deuteronomy 24, Moses says that if a woman is divorced, then remarries, and then is divorced by the second husband, 
the first husband can't go back and get her. And so what happens is the Pharisees see a contradiction between what Jesus says and what Moses commanded. And so now we're about to move toward the permission for divorce, according to Jesus, the permission for divorce. Jesus says the reason that Moses allowed it was because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Notice the Pharisees as what Moses commanded. But Jesus responds by saying that Moses allowed. They thought Moses commanded divorce, and Jesus says, no, he just allowed or permitted divorce. What Moses was doing in Deuteronomy was bringing forth legislation in response to human failure. Moses was bringing order to an unideal situation. Divorce was permitted, Jesus says, because of hardness of heart. And let me be clear, hardness of heart describes man's attitude toward God. They had turned away from God's way, God's will, God's intent, and God's design for marriage. This was rebellion Against God. Hardness of heart describes one's attitudes and disposition toward God, not necessarily someone else. I make this point because there are Christians who think hardness of heart is a valid reason for divorce. And friends, that is not the correct reading and interpretation of this verse. Jesus was not allowing for divorce in the case of hardness of heart. If your heart gets hardened towards your spouse, then your heart needs to be changed. Divorce exists because of man's rebellion against God. Divorce is because of sin. And men... Husbands, let me speak to you right here. This is for free. This is not in the manuscript. Oftentimes, it's because of our sin. Husbands are called to be, ooh, I'm finna get in a lot of trouble today. Husbands are called to be, let me use this dirty word. It's a four-letter word. The head in the relationship denotes leadership. And as husbands, we are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? By giving himself up for her. Part of the problem in marriages today is that the men are too selfish in their marriage. God has called men to love like Christ. Christ, he, he came to sacrifice and he came to serve. And the problem in many marriages, men sit back and want to be served. 
But if that's not Christ, Christ, Christ is the one. He came not to be served, but to serve and give him life as a ransom for many. Well, all, I, what we need in the church, what we need at the bridge is more servants in the marriage. Men, stop being selfish. But there is another sin that many men are guilty of. I'm sorry, just, just give me a moment. There's another sin that men are, are guilty of, and we get it from our, our forefather, Adam. And it's the sin of passive leadership. The Bible says that when, when Satan came to Eve in the garden, uh, uh, and he told her about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil, the text says, it's subtle, but you got to see it. The text says that Adam was with her. Adam's job was to then be, uh, be, be active in his leadership and said, no, this is not God's will for us. But he just sat there, stood there or something, and just let it happen. So divorce is oftentimes a result of sin. I've got words for women too, but the men need to be spoken to today. So since sin now exists in the world, Jesus says... Divorce is now a real option. So he says in verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, oh, help me, Holy Ghost, commits adultery. Jesus says that divorce in a fallen world is permissible in the case of sexual immorality. In the case of sexual immorality, that, that term for sexual immorality is porneia in the Greek, from which we get our word pornography. Porneia, friends, is a comprehensive term that covers sexual sins of all sorts. Porneia speaks to fornication, adultery, bestiality, incest, homosexuality, and the like. Any kind of sexual relationship outside of the marital relationship is cause for divorce. Jesus says if a man divorces his wife for any other reason except of sexual sin and remarries another person, that person is guilty of adultery. Why are they guilty of adultery? Friends, we must remember that marriage is a covenant. It's an exclusive abiding commitment between two or more parties. And the only way that a covenant could be broken was due to unfaithfulness to the covenant or death. And since neither one of these has happened, unfaithfulness nor death, then that person is still technically under covenant. So if you are under covenant to one person and then go and marry and get under covenant with another person, Jesus says you're guilty of adultery. 
I'm coming back to it. Now, let's stop because we have to ask ourselves here, does the sin of sexual immorality mandate divorce? Does the sin of sexual immorality require divorce? Friends, the answer is clearly no. Here in verse 8, Jesus permits divorce for sexual immorality, but does not command divorce. I think that's one reason the teaching about unlimited forgiveness in chapter 18 precedes this teaching of divorce here in chapter 19. If possible, when someone is unfaithful to their marriage covenant, the offended party should be open and ready to forgive the offending party and work towards reconciliation. Beloved, this is the disposition and mindset of a gospel-centered Christian. We all are spiritual adulterers. We are, for all have sinned. We all have been unfaithful to the covenant between us and God in the beginning of creation. And every time we turn to some idol, safety, convenience, comfort, people, money, assets, Whatever it may be, work, that is spiritual adultery. Here's the gospel. God sent his son to die for our sins so that all who believe might be saved. What we have to remember when we are sinned against, especially in the marital relationship, is that we are even greater sinners than the offending party against us. And God, while we were at our very worst, while we were still, I just preached from Hosea uh, Wednesday night, while we were still playing the whore, God still sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Now, now, now we have to practice the gospel. We, we love to hear the gospel. Some of us love to share the gospel. Oh, but now we have to actually live the gospel. So this takes, takes someone who the, gospel's, who's, the gospel has penetrated one's heart to say, now I am in the position to be the forgiver. I've been the forgiven. Now it's time for me to be the forgiver. Let me move on to another question. This is a major question that comes to the forefront when dealing with divorce and remarriage. What about those who have divorced for unbiblical um, reasons and remarried? Let me, let me back up real quick and just say Jesus here is not teaching comprehensively or exhaustively on all the exceptions for marriage, uh, for divorce, excuse me, because what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is Paul giving another exception clause for 
divorce. Jesus is speaking to a specific time, a specific people, in a specific place. But in regards to what Jesus has talked about here in Matthew chapter 19, what about those who have divorced for unbiblical reasons and then remarried? Which Jesus here says is adultery. What are they to do? Where, where do they stand with God? Well, let me just give you basic truth. We are saved by grace through faith. Our standing with God is based on God's grace and the faith that he gives us to trust in him. So this is our hope. Our standing with God is based on his grace, his forgiveness. So our standing with God is we are forgiven. At the cross, every sin was nailed to the cross, past, present, and future. And to all those who repent and believe, we are forgiven. That's our standing. But what are they to do who have remarried after being divorced for unbiblical reasons? Well, we do know that second marriages are significant in God's eyes. And in a second marriage, a union has been formed, promises have been made. Therefore, since Jesus says it is sin to remarry after being divorced for unbiblical reasons, that's sin. And so what, does, what do we learn? What do we do with sin? We confess the sin. And we seek forgiveness from God. Second, I believe you are to remain as you are. Stay in the second marriage. Be committed in that second marriage. Keep your word. Keep your vows. Keep your promises. Let's get out of here. We see the plan for marriage, the permission for divorce. But then thirdly, let's look at the priority of the kingdom. Verses 10 through 12. The disciples now have a question for Jesus. The disciples said to him, <laughs> Jesus have just told them, marriage is for a lifetime and you can't, you're not supposed to divorce in the, except for sexual immorality. And the disciples essentially asked Jesus, if this is the case, why get married at all? Why get married if there's no escape calls, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus says, let me speak to that. Jesus says, only those to whom this has been given can actually receive it. This is a heavy word. Jesus says, essentially, and I'm going to summarize this, that for some people, celibacy via singleness is a real option. Celibacy via singleness is a real option. And he uses the eunuch as an example, a, a man who has been castrated. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Let me get to the main point because we can't talk about eunuchs very long. Here's Jesus' main point. 
The kingdom of heaven. He says there are some who are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' point is that the kingdom of heaven is so important and so crucial that it should be perfectly acceptable, normal, and celebrated if someone wants to give up their right to be married and remain single for the sake of the kingdom. I got to say that one more time. The kingdom of heaven is so crucial and important that in the church, it should be normal and celebrated. If someone wants to give up marriage and remain single for the sake of the kingdom. Singles that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness should be welcomed and affirmed in the church. We should not make singles feel like they are second-class Christians or that there is something wrong with them. Later on in the New Testament, Paul says that actually singleness is a gift. And people who are single are able to give their undivided devotion to the Lord. And so Paul actually there says, I wish all of y'all were just like me, single. Whoa. What do we do with this word? To those who are married, we ought to have a high view of marriage. The problem in the church, I ain't even getting to the culture. The problem in the church is that we have put divorce on the lower shelf. And Jesus says, I'm putting it on the highest shelf. Because marriage from the beginning was designed between one man and woman for a lifetime. But now we live in a fallen world. And so when one breaks their covenant, sexual immorality, and he allows for divorce. When there are things that we don't want Lily to get to, we put it on the top of the refrigerator, the top shelf of a closet. That's what Jesus does for us here. He says, I'm putting this up way up here. And in the church, we put it way down here. The divorce rate in the church is just the same as it is in the world. And so I, I think we need to reorient our mindset and our view of marriage. It is God-ordained. It was instituted by God. It is to be permanent, and it is to be a priority. And so we need to have a high view of marriage. To those who are married, I think we need to guard and protect our marriages. Jesus makes it clear that sexual immorality is a temptation uh, and a sin in a fallen world. And so you need to guard and protect your marriage, your heart, your eyes, your ears, your mind. To those who are married, I think, Jesus reminds us that we need to prioritize one another. Remember, he said, you ought to leave mother and father and cleave to your wife. Prioritize one another over parents. And please hear me, please hear me, because this is the one where we struggle a lot in the church. 
Prioritize your spouse even over your children. You are not a one flesh union with your children. You are one with your spouse. We ought to raise our children, love our children, support our children, help them learn to be independent at some point. But don't let the priority of the children cause the demise of your marriage. That is idolatry. I'm going to tell y'all a little secret. I don't care if y'all judge me or not. I kind of do care, but either way, I'm going to tell y'all. Brianna and BJ, we've had the talk with them. This is the third talk. This is talk number three. And here's talk number three for BJ and Brianna. Actually, what happened was they just, they wanted to know, why does mama always get to go first? Or why does she always get the cake and the cookies? Why does she always get, why is she so special? And I told them very straight up, I love her more than I love y'all. <laughs> y'all laugh, but I'm serious. I love my kids, ooh, more than I could ever explain to y'all. I, I love BJ so much, I gave him my name. <laughs> and my good looks. <laughs> I love my children. But that love can never match or exceed the love for which I have for Connie. Thank you. Thank you. I'm called to give my life for Connie. Love her as Christ loved the church. Now, y'all can tell BJ and Brianna and Lily, they're not hurting for anything. They are spoiled rotten. So you can still love your spouse more than your children and your children be well loved. Prioritize one another. I think another easy point of application is this. Stay married. I don't know how else to expound that, but to stay married. However, marriage is between two sinners. And when two sinners say I do, sin is bound to happen against one another. And sometimes the sin is so great, so frequent, and so egregious that you think that the only option is to leave the marriage. And so if you are in a place right now where you are contemplating divorce, please come and talk to, to me. Talk to Dominic. Talk to him. He just showed up uh, and got married. He's trying to figure it all out. But, but, but talk to one of your elders. <laughs> Talk to other people who have been married longer than you. Here, here is something. Oh, this is profound. Go to counseling. It is okay for Christians to go to counseling. Our minds have been affected by sin. So God has given us professionals to help us think rightly so that we might act right. We, we got to stop making counseling so taboo in the church. We got to stop making the, making the case that whoever needs counseling just needs to get more faith. 
No, 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 no. Let's use what God has blessed us with that there are professionals who have studied and have an understanding of people, their minds, their brains, psychology, yada, 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 and go get some help. And I know you want to come to the pastor and God has blessed me. He's given me some wisdom. He's given me some training. All praise the name of God. But I, what I am, what, what I was trained to do is Bible. I don't always get people. Y'all are crazy. <laughs> so I can help you to a point, but there comes a point where you need a professional. You know, it's kind of like in the physical realm. There are some things that mommy and daddy can handle. They can, they know basic first aid, but there comes a point where you better take yourself to the doctor. Someone who's got training, extensive training of the body and can help you because if you stick with me, I'm going to kill you. Not intentionally. I just lack the training. Same thing in the spiritual realm. I can help you up to a point. There comes a point where there has been so much trauma, so much sin, that you need specialized help. Now, this does not make the Bible insufficient. Now I'll get in trouble about this. So, so in the Bible enough? I, I, yeah. And so what God has done, he has trained people who understand the Bible and the brain to be able to help us. Praise God. Let me move on. To the divorce, that's to the married, to the divorced. For those of you who have divorced for biblical reasons, I want you to know that you are not second-class Christians. You can find acceptance, grace, and fellowship right here at the Bridge Church. To the divorced but shouldn't be and have remarried, my word to you is run to the cross. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. There is mercy for you at the cross. And I encourage you that if necessary, seek reconciliation with those who have been hurt and affected by your divorce. That may be your ex-spouse, kids, parents, whomever. To singles. Jesus here affirms your singleness. You are not weird. You are not strange. You actually are very Christ-like. Jesus was the greatest single. And he flourished on the earth. And watch this. He was whole and complete on the earth. You don't need another person to complete you. You are whole and complete right now. You are one with Christ. Worship team, you can come back to all of us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, after talking about the role of husband and wife, and the sanctity of marriage. He says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. As I've said already, Christ loved the church by giving himself up for it. Christ died for the church to 
set her apart and purify her that he might present the church to himself in splendor, that she might be holy. Friend, have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Christ is the bridegroom. Church is her bride. May we be faithful to our bridegroom, the bride of Christ. Let us be faithful to Christ. Let us not turn from Christ, but be fully committed dare I say, fully devoted followers of Christ. Father, thank you so much for what our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, our hearts have felt. God, we've heard clearly your teaching, your expectations, our obligations in regard to marriage, divorce, and singleness. God, marriage is hard, it's tough, it's challenging. It is a blessing. God, I pray that you would give us a heart of repentance, a heart of acknowledging our sins, confessing our sins, seeking forgiveness for our sins when we've sinned against our spouse. God, I pray that you would bless every marriage here at the Bridge Church, that it would not just survive, that it would thrive for your glory, for our good. God, for those marriages who are hurting and on the verge of divorce, I pray, God, that you would intervene. Holy Spirit, convict and convince the need to stay in the marriage, to work on the marriage, to get help for the marriage. God, for those who have sinned through divorce, we pray, God, that you would help them to embrace the cross, its forgiveness, and its mercy, and that this second marriage would be a marriage for your glory. God, thank you for those who you have called and gifted to be single. There are singles who that, that don't desire to remain single. And so, pray, I, Father, I pray that you would give them the desires of their heart, that you would give them a man, a woman that loves you and that will love them. But in the meantime, I pray, God, that they would remain pure, content, hopeful. God, thank you that we are the bride of Christ. That Christ loved us with an everlasting, unconditional love. Help us, God, not to take this for granted, but to love our groom and return with faithfulness, delight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us stand.